Hi, you're listening to Coffee with the Sarlos. I'm Kelly. And I'm Karen. And what are we talking about today? Um, I read J.K. Rowling's book last night, A Very, a very Good Lives. Mm-hmm. Again? Yeah, a commencement speech, not a, not yeah. a book. Okay, but it's in book format if anybody's yeah. looking for it. Okay, so um, again, J.K. Rowling's Very Good Lives. And something that she wrote really stuck with me. Um you and I talk about all the time and that's empathy mm-hmm. and that we, we call ourselves empaths and that it's scary to me that so many people don't even know what the word means mm-hmm. or, um, think that it's an important part. They think some people think it's a weakness, but um, I think some people just straight up confuse it with sympathy. Don't right. know the difference. Oh, hold on. Let's shut that printer off. <laughs> So, oh my god. I'm good at other things. <laughs> okay. Okay. Or do we have to watch it shut off too? I don't it just keeps running. <laughs> it's a process. Okay, it's off. Okay. Um anyway, when I was reading the book, um and or if you want to say listening to her speech um that she gave at Harvard University, um to the graduating class she was calling on a group of people that we'll call very left-brained um though that might not be fair to say because i would say that some of them are very right-brained because you have to be innovative and um in touch with your intuition and i think it's something that a lot of like that i used to think anyway that if you were a left-brained person you were science you needed structure and process and you couldn't believe anything other than that and I'm really discovering that a lot of like a lot of people like me are very left brained, but we're also very right brained, and that there isn't anything wrong with seeing somebody like a right brained person, if you want to say intuitive, uh, if you want to say a psychic or a singer or an artist, whatever you want to call the right side of the brain, can still be great business people and can still be highly functioning people. Mm-hmm. Um, and that sometimes what we've done is we've, I'll say, we've put them in a box and we've given them a great disservice through media. Um, that if you're right-brained, you're flighty, you're untrustworthy, you're, you're a liar, you're lazy. Um, and that's, that's not for every occupation. I, I don't even think I would have assumed those words. I, would have, I think I would have assumed some other ones, like not very dependable. But I wouldn't have gone to not trustworthy. Oh, okay. That's okay. So maybe your experience in 27 years is giving you something. And and in my experience with different generations, that that a lot of people that wanted to follow their career, their passion of music or whatever were considered flighty. Okay. Uh, I understand that. And and the terms fly by night. Um, And when when some of those things come to mind, they were never said with care. They were never said as good qualities. They were referred to as people who were not only not dependable, but were also untrustworthy people, always a fly-by-night. You can't count on him. So I think maybe in different generations, perhaps, I don't know if that's generational or not, some of the qualities that an empath have has can get attached to some meanings that are not always kind, is what I'm trying to say. Okay. And I liked the fact that J.K. Rowling actually stands up and sa- and I'll say stands up, meaning not just in front of Harvard grads, but stands up 
and in, in having a voice in having a voice in putting it into her her novels with Harry Potter but also in her speech in a book in every aspect that she can she stands up for imagination and she stands up for empathy and how tightly she weaves imagination and empathy right and I don't know if it's because I know you've got the book in your hand and I know you want to quote part of it are you directly referring to the part where she talks about empathy having sorry in order to have empathy you have to have the ability to imagine yourself in another's shoes yeah okay and and that takes imagination yes and so if we can't if we strangle hold any aspect of our personality where imagination exists holds a space it's that's that creative spark but it's also love it's so many other things that are all combined in that little spark. It's self-love. It's not just love for the other person who might be trying to share their creativeness with you, but it's your own. It's how you create your own life, and it's how you aren't able to love a part of your your own self that's imaginative mm. and that's empathic mm-hmm. that dies within you. And I would refer to that as a fragmented soul. Mm-hmm. So I would say... That's a piece sometimes when people come in and say, oh, you do soul retrieval. Can you help me? I, there's something missing in my life. I'm depressed. I'm anxious. I have anxiety. My body's full of pain. Uh, I'm stuck. I think of all the terms people come and, and talk about mm-hmm. and that they have a vocabulary for that. For this, and for, I'll say to some degree, because a lot of people can't even describe their own depression. No, kind of, I'm just thinking the majority of people don't walk in and ask about soul retrieval. Yeah. They'll say, I'm depressed. I feel depressed and I, yeah. I don't know why. Yeah. And, and I'm on meds or I'm, I, they're not working <clears throat> or, you know, I just think of a person who came in yesterday and said, my wife sent me. Uh, and I said, oh, okay. What's her question? And he says, she wants to know why she's depressed. He, she sent her husband? Yeah. To ask the question about herself. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Sorry, that came out judgmental. I just, that's okay. I hadn't experienced something like that. Yeah. Normally it's it. my wife sent me, she knows I'm depressed. Yeah. Um, I, okay, <laughs> sorry. sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm getting into a different issue. We are. But I'm just, okay, that got kind of funny. <laughs> but I'm just saying and making the point and trying to draw, I'll say weave my thread, which you know I like to weave the threads. Um, in that aspect of ourself that gets lost because we won't allow ourselves to imagine something other than than what we believe is real. That we can't extend ourselves to believe something. And of course, this might just come to the point of if I'm doing this talk, people think, oh, she must be referring to the fact that people don't believe in psychics or they don't believe in... No. They don't believe in uh, that we can see and find missing people. They don't believe... Well, of course we do it. That's what we're doing. The police will, yeah. will believe that and the families believe that when we do it. But no, so many other people won't. My when you when you were talking about that, I don't go to what we do. I, I was going toward um like we were talking about the majority of the people that walk in with depression. Yes. And cannot imagine a better life. Cannot imagine mm. things getting better. Um Yes, that too. Or can imagine it but can't imagine how can't can't kind of break that down into I'll call them manageable pieces because you know that's how I, I refer to it in life coaching um, where they can visualize the steps that they might need to take or get outside the box and find different steps 
Yes. And I think too, Kelly, when you're saying that, like uh, when you talk about, um, say, the example that you gave, and I, but I also think of the one where somebody can't imagine another job or a different career mm-hmm. or, or a different partner. Yes, a different marriage or being Pardon. single Pardon. and that it could be fun and invigorating and free and challenging and rewarding. Well, uh, yeah, sorry, I cut you off. <laughs> I got excited. Yeah, that's good. I, when you were talking about being single, because I know this is a really big issue for a lot of people, um, even though divorce is, I'll say, widely accepted, there's still very much a stigma around it, I think. Um, and there's, it, I think it really speaks to um, the judgment around being single. Yeah. And even though, you know, I'll say Sex in the City did a huge, huge service yeah. to show that single can be an independent and free um, status or state. Um, but the majority of people who are, I'll say, maybe should be moving to, toward a divorce or who are, feel that stigma of single is not a good thing. I'm starting over. Um, and it shows about the judgment that they place on single people or the single life. Mm-hmm. And so, and I'm not picking on them. I'm using that as an example to illustrate the fact that the empathic ability is shut down there because we've replaced it with a judgment. And then the judgment creates a fear, yeah. which triggers all of our anxiety and further shuts down the imagination because if I imagine what life could be like differently, then I have to work to get out of my current state. Mm-hmm. And that feels exhausting even thinking about it. Yes, be- and, and only because they don't have the tools. They think it's an exhausting process, when in reality it is not. It is one that gives you back your energy. Right, but the the total lack of um, empathy mm-hmm. in in place of choosing a judgment, right, mm-hmm. um, doesn't allow all of that freedom to move forward in a way that could could allow happiness. And now we know what makes some people quote unquote stuck mm-hmm. or depressed quote for all of those little things. Just meaning we don't often understand that it's our own imagination. That doesn't allow us, maybe if we are going to stay in the marriage or we are going to stay with this job, uh, what can that imagination provide us with if we were to approach it differently? Mm-hmm. If yeah. we were to say, instead of manipulating my my spouse or withholding information or um, playing games or whatever different people. Cold shoulder. Cold, yeah, cold shoulder, fluctuating it back and forth with different things that some people do just to keep them off balance so they never know what's coming at them. Well, you talk about being depressed. Mm-hmm. As a partner, if you have another partner who's constantly just shuffling well, the deck to keep control every day. And I think the opposite of the control situation can be imagination. Mm-hmm. The opposite of the, of, and, and this is where, this is why it was so important to me today when you said what, you know, we were having lunch on the deck and you said, what do you want to do the show about? And I said, that was breakfast for me. Oh, <laughs> okay. Okay, lunch for me, breakfast for you. Well, okay, that's good. Um, I got excited. I I could do a a thousand shows on this alone about empathy. And I hope, I really hope that as people get to hear that we're doing these shows, that they're going to send us emails and questions and stuff so we can do more about it from a different perspective, maybe that we haven't thought yet either, which means Mm -hmm. our imaginations can open. And I think one of the best things about who you are and who I am um, is that you and I have allowed imagination to live. Oh, yeah, very much so. We've given it a space. In, and I'll say something. And, and you and I have talked, we just talked about this yesterday. I'm bringing it up again. 
we've allowed imagination to live in a culture that sees it as a threat, mm-hmm. that sees it as something that if you have imagination, I have to have more control over you, or I have to punish you, or I have to cut you out. And so I think some people fear the idea of being an empath or or having an imagination, because what if it does mean I'd have to change? And you know, you and I are always going to have the topic of change, I think, in almost every podcast, mm-hmm. because it is what life is, and it is probably the biggest thing people fear or fight, or conversely can accept and grow and and embrace. Mm-hmm. Neat. So um, can I read the quote? Yeah, I was actually just going to ask you. It's on page 41. <clears throat> she says, now you might think that I chose my second theme, the importance of imagination, because of the part it played in rebuilding my life, but that is not wholly so. Though I personally will defend the value of bedtime stories to my last gasp, I have learned to value imagination in a much broader sense. Imagination is not only the uniquely human capacity to envision that which is not, and therefore the fount of all invention and innovation, in its arguably most transformative and revelatory capacity, it is the power that enables us to empathize with humans whose experiences we have never shared. Mm-hmm. And so then she goes on to talk about um, working at Amnesty International before she started writing the Harry Potter series mm-hmm. and writing and how she had to listen to and be uh, a witness to terror, torture and horror and how she met these people and how she dis- she saw people who lived in very safe realities with nothing to want for in life, pick up and leave those safe realities to enter into horrific situations to help those people. Mm-hmm. And that what is needed to call people to take that action. Mm-hmm. But, and she, now she also mentions, cause I read that quite a few times, um, she also mentions those people who are the very people who are living in the torturous, yes. horrific situations, how they too are still able to envision a different reality, how they still walk up to the people who have it all, I'll say, um, at these Amnesty International places and will say, I wish you well, I wish you happiness. Yeah. Um, and still have that that empathic and and caring quality um while no matter what's going on in their lives they still hope for the best for others yeah yeah it, it's 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 the i don't know i don't know why um and i might be off on a complete tangent and you know that i go on them but can i th- go? Yeah, go it makes me think a little bit dis- <clears throat> to a degree of a woman who called and asked me to help find her daughter she said she was a missing person she was from, I'll say, New Liskard. And just making something up. And um, uh, I told her her daughter wasn't missing. She'd be found in a couple of days in Edmonton. And the police would find her at a Tim Hortons. And um, <laughs> That's so Canadian. <laughs> that is such a Canadian story. It's However, not a funny story. But <laughs> yeah. So, so anyway, she asked me to give some information about her daughter to make sure it was accurate and all this and what she could tell the police to help them and... Um, so on. And, but I also told her that her daughter wasn't missing, that she had run away and, um, that she had run away with a, a, a young man, uh, purposefully, um, from a family situation. And I guess she didn't appreciate the fact that I knew that and that I could empathize with her daughter, I'll, um, about the situation she ran away from and 
tried to explain the mom the feelings the daughter was going through in this pro like I'll say process, but most people wouldn't consider running away with another guy with a guy in a car <laughs> a process. Mm-hmm. So, but you know, maybe the people who've run away can can, can totally get that that is a process and can laugh at that and empathize with her. So anyway, so the two days later, she called me and said that that was correct that the information was good for the police and they did get her daughter at that. We had to give the, I had to give the location and everything, but anyway, they did find her and they did bring her back home. And I just listened and her next statement was, so my daughter's back home now. And I was waiting for some kind of happiness, (laughs) relief. I don't know. I guess I had my my own expectation. Oh, gratitude. I don't know. But I realized afterwards, Kelly, you're right, that I was expecting some type of a gratitude from her, that I was feeling my own joy and relief that a mom had her daughter come back home, feel safe, whatever it was that she was needing. And but instead, her next statement was, so can you tell me what to do to keep her here? Can you tell me what to do to make her obey me? And I was so caught off guard. And so I had to kind of think for a moment, but I switched gears in that moment. And I thought, well, hold on a minute. Um, I've just worked for two days at no pay to help find a missing person. And this is a job. It is also a job. I know it's a gift, but it's also a job. And it's fatiguing. And I wasn't expecting payment, but I was just expecting something. And I said to her, well, uh, we have found her, we have accomplished the first goal. If you want to move forward with your daughter, then you would have to book an appointment. And she hung up on me. Sweet. (laughs) So coming back to my point of a lack of empathy, coming back to the, the her inability to feel for her daughter, her inability to connect. Well, um, her inability to connect with me. Yeah, that's that's why to I was going. to be any kind of what I might have gone through for two days trying to find a missing person. And I don't think under people understand the stress that comes with the job of when someone says, "Can you help find my missing person?" That we have to say, "Dead or alive." Yeah, which is terrifying both ways because right. you don't wish for someone's loved one to be dead. Yeah, but you sure as hell don't want to be wrong. Oh my God, no. And to say they're alive and again, hope that you're not wrong. Yeah. Because if they're dead and you've said they're alive, and like you how said, mean you've, how mean I have yes, been. Given that false hope. And then on top of that, you in your position to have been waiting for those affirmations for two full days, mm-hmm. for 48 hours, wondering, was I right? Did I hurt this woman by giving her the wrong information? And I've got a police department in Edmonton following everything that I've said. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah like and Just, at meaning that those police officers are going in one direction <clears throat> if i'm all wrong that i've taken all of that manpower and man effort to that's diverted from where she could be mm-hmm. but so anyway i think of the empathy that i was feeling for her daughter the empathy i was feeling for the police officers for her mom for her brothers and sisters her All of her family, cousins got called, everybody got called. Missing person, everybody was called. And the the empathy that I'm feeling and the very lack of any of it that she had for anybody. Mm -hmm. And yet her daughter, um, I'll say exercising her own imagination to imagine and then put into practice or implement some kind of way to make her situation better. Mm -hmm. And even though I'll say it probably wasn't the right answer, 
um, even still tried. Yes. And then was, you know, I'll say captured. Yes. Uh, and brought back into the Cus- box. Yes. Into her, I'll say, and you know what? I really did feel after that, that I had done the wrong thing in finding her as a missing person. That I had uh, perhaps taken somebody who was exercising her freedom mm-hmm. and was part as it was instrumental in cutting it out of her life. Mm. And, and that, and how much I grieved in that when I hung up that phone after the mom hanging up, that I didn't just grieve, I'll say, in my own sense of that there was no appreciation for what I had been through, mm-hmm. but that I had to now recognize that this was the type of person her mother is, uh, or her captor is, and that I was instrumental in, in bringing her back into that environment. Mm-hmm. And the empathy that I felt for that daughter, mm-hmm. having to go back and live with that kind of parent. Okay, I was so I went on a little yeah. bit of a tangent. Actually, I was going to too. <laughs> well, that's okay, and I think that's why you you know when you said let's make these as um, just the two of us having coffee, why well, I'm pissed. So if I'm just being really me, mm-hmm. that pisses me off. Mm-hmm. It, it 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 angers me to be treated that way, uh, for my gifts to be treated that way, for the spirit world to be treated that way, um, and that someone could call someone up with my gifts like this and abuse me. Um, and abuse and so the, she could, the spirit world. And so she could abuse her daughter. Yes. Yeah. And that that was the lengths that she was willing to go. And when I think of what that will mean for her spirit someday, for her to get and understand all of that, mm-hmm. that she probably won't get it on earth at any point, but she certainly will with the other side when she crosses. And that I know. Mm-hmm. That I know 100%. Mm-hmm. And that I'm grateful for because they will have far more compassion and empathy than she ever will have here. And they will have to teach it to her. So here's the question. Is it teachable? Empathy? Yeah. <clears throat> Pardon me. Well, I mean, to, I think to a certain degree, absolutely. Yeah. They try to teach it to children as, as young as they are in the school system um, or even having siblings to try and put yourself in another's shoes when, when you need to learn how to share. Mm-hmm. Right? We're teaching empathy by sharing. Yeah. Um, but I mean, so much of what we teach in an obvious way, like sharing as an example, is undone by the ways that people miss opportunities for empathy. Mm-hmm. So, and I'll, and I'll, I'll use parenting only because it's, it's the biggest influence in our lives and the earliest influence in our lives. Mm-hmm. So if we're missing opportunities to empathize with our child when they fall down the stairs and the parent says, you're fine, get up, you're okay but the kid is, is clearly crying and doesn't look okay, then we're teaching them not to empathize, not to enter into another person's reality and imagine how it would have felt to fall down those stairs, um, what part of them might be aching, how silly they might feel, not just the physical part, but the emotional components to it. Um, we undo all of the things that we've been trying to teach them about empathy. We learn, to, we teach them not to trust. We teach them um, to disconnect from others because they firsthand watch people disconnect from them. And that also goes to that they have to disconnect from themselves. Right. So, so if, if their own body is injured and hurt, their own brain has to shut down and say that it doesn't hurt because mom or dad says it doesn't hurt. So if, if so, I'm fine because mom and dad say I'm fine, then this ache in me is apparently okay. And it's confusing to the brain itself. It's confusing to the organs and to the cellular structures. Mm -hmm. And 
that, as you and I both know, is called backwards training. Mm -hmm. And the backwards training means that we cannot empathize with Mm -hmm. others. Mm -hmm. Or our own self. I think it speaks to a whole generation of older people, even older than me, I'll say, where we were from, uh, it was the school of hard knocks or whatever, you know, expressions you want. Toughen up. Uh, There was all kinds of little things that, or or big things rather, but that shut us down. Well, and here's another thing too, because I know you're talking about that being a previous generation. Now, you know how big I am into Danielle Laporte. And I picked up uh, Firestarter Sessions and her Desire Map. And there was one, I can't remember which book it was in, but there was one comment about these new affirmations. So this new age, new way of thinking where you're supposed to give positive affirmations Mm -hmm. to yourself in the mirror. I think everyone knows these activities Um, where you stand in front of the mirror and you say, I like myself. I like myself. I like myself. I think that was a Brian Tracy activity. And she made reference to these types of activities in the book when she says, if you don't like your eyes, if you don't like your skin, if you hate your frizzy hair, if there are so many things that you are constantly um, berating in your self-talk, but you stand in front of the mirror and choose this affirmation of, I like myself, she wrote, it literally confuses the brain cells. Exactly. And just the example of falling down and hurting the body as a kid, you think, okay, this is the way I speak about myself. This is the way, these are all the things I don't like. But I'm saying the words, I like myself. So this is what liking someone feels like. Yeah. And then you go out and you try and like your boyfriend like that. So <laughs> then you're, oh, all a nightmare. Ki- you're all kinds of abusive to the boyfriend or the girlfriend or the husband or the wife or the kid or the coworker. Because I love you, but I'm going to tell you all the things I hate about you. But yes. You need to believe that that's love. Yes. Oh, boy. <laughs> Bombshell. Yeah. <laughs> Truth bomb. <laughs> not quite the same as hers but 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 that is so much confusion and you said it beautifully in the sense of relationships with other human beings and with the self and I purposefully did it to take it into um, cellular structure on a DNA level Mm -hmm. where it's and you did too in the sense of saying I don't like my own eyes I don't like my liver some people might think, uh-huh, and giggle. Uh, she said, I don't like my liver. Who knows what a liver what, feels like? Yeah, what does that mean? And and be all uncomfortable about it. Yet there are so many people that are true empaths that they know exactly what their liver feels like when it's healthy, when it's angry, and when it's sick. Mm-hmm. And can pinpoint it to a T. So that when you, when you feel that illness and the doctor, you don't have to wait for the doctor to say, you have cancer in your liver. And they go, oh, shocked. Mm-hmm. And then there are people that go, yep, makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. I've been angry as all get out at my wife for 30 years. And uh, that liver's yeah, it's pooched. And um, it's been achy. I know that. Mm-hmm. Versus the people that are so disconnected, they giggle at the comment because it sounds so ridiculous to them. Mm-hmm. But that meaning how disconnected they are. And so when I thought when I read her, her, her speech, and I we're, read it, we're going back to JK Rowling. Yeah, yeah. yeah. when I read it, a couple of times. Um, I read it when I'm doing my yoga practice and I have to do those twists Amanda keeps telling me to do so <laughs> to let my piriformis muscles release. Um, when I'm sitting on my block, I t- I've been reading the speech over and over again, um, just trying to think and feel because we are so intensely empathic. And so this is where I wanted the next part of the talk to go was for us to just to talk about how empathic we are. And I know this is going to be a zillion podcasts. Okay. 
for you and I, because every single minute of our lives, whether we're in a grocery store or sitting here having coffee, talking, or we have a client in front of us, we are constantly feeling other people's pain, joy, and every emotion that they feel and every physical thing that they feel. Mm -hmm. And I think we're so highly high tuned, you and I, that I think we're the perfect people to talk about it. Okay. So what direction do you want to take then? Um, I don't know. First, I, I guess maybe, Kelly, it might be nice just to share some of the stories where you impact your... <laughs> Sorry, it was a burp. I burped and I got to the same time. <laughs> Hashtag this is why you're single. <laughs> That's not fair. I'm just kidding. Okay. Um, Pardon me. So, so, and also, okay, let's keep going. Um, do you have a, a, anyone that comes to mind for you? Like I do, but I, I want you to jump in and... I don't know what you're asking me. If, if you want to share or talk about where you've done a treatment or you've been in a workshop or you've just been out with a friend... And your empathy, empathy gifts mm -hmm. of feeling for other people um, come alive. And all I mean is that you are feeling and want to share that because I think some people that are listening to the podcast don't even know what the heck we're talking about. Mm, okay. They don't. So I think it, illustrating different stories will show them how, to what degree we run this. Um, okay. So, and I'm going to pick an example. And if it's not what you were hoping to illustrate, just let me know. Oh, um, okay. Because I've kind of got one idea in my mind. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and I have permission from this, this particular woman to use her name. Um, I was doing a treatment for a woman named Candy, or Candice. Um, and she, it was just beautiful. She was on the treatment table. We were doing energy healing. And all of a sudden, her past lives started coming through. And she, well, she was kind of flip-flopping back and forth between past lives and, and her current life. And it was illustrating what she had been through and why she feels the way she does now yeah, because of what the soul had endured. And so she had shown me, or she was saying that in this life, she was so opposed to war, so opposed to weapons, um, that she, the body tensed up as soon as she even read the title of an article about weapons um, and she was unsure as I was a woman now as to why there was so much discomfort around all of it but when she took me into the past lives she was showing me that she had literally been in war before that she had been a soldier that she had held guns that she had taken lives and there was this moment in I don't know what war she was in but there was this one moment where she was across from another soldier I'll say on the other side and they both had their guns drawn and, but their eyes connected. And in that moment, the whole question of why would your life be worth more than mine or vice versa and how bringing in all of those questions of what are we really doing here? What are we really fighting over? And so that empathy to look at another person and say, why is your worth greater than mine or mine over yours? Mm-hmm. And so that is why she, she got that lesson in that lifetime. Well, that's why she's carried such a huge sensitivity to it in this life, because that lesson stayed with her of not wanting to hurt another soul, of wanting to be able to see that person for who they are uh, and, and love to find a way for both of them to live and be happy, not taking away from another person so that the other one could have more. Right. <clears throat> is that an okay example? It's perfect because it relates right into marriages. Yeah. And into... Well, and that's good because it's exactly where it went in the session. And so she said, hmm. 
or her soul said, when she learned that lesson, literally being in war, she had taken that into this life that when she gets into relationships now, and she's had, she's had a couple, um, long-term, but every time she gets into confrontation with a spouse now, it completely sends her back into the feelings of being at war because when you throw out insults, when you throw out manipulation, it's as bad as a bullet, she called it. Mm-hmm. And so she was so tired of drawing bullets um, or pointing bullets at other people because the of the effect, of the emotional effect. It was mm-hmm. the same as shooting a gun. Mm-hmm. And, and some people is. will say no, right? Some people will, will completely disagree with that. And I'm not here to argue with them. I'm just saying you're wrong. <laughs> um, <laughs> we don't argue. <laughs> no, we don't. And because, because of what we see as energy healers in the body. Yeah. And so if you see the physical trauma that it does to where the wound the physical wound happens but then you look at the energetic wound that's all over the body Mm -hmm. that can't get over the circumstance then you know it is bad as bad or worse than the bullet yeah because we don't know how to grieve it it's not physical any longer so how do we pinpoint exactly what's going on and how do we help ourselves heal yeah. And and for me as an energy healer, I often see that with people with fibromyalgia, mm-hmm. um, with MS, with um, certain diseases, um, with some cancers, um, lots of different physical things that are connected to that, the bullet, as you say, or the injury. Mm-hmm. And, and on what? All because we can't connect on an emotional level? That's right. Because we can't we can't even fathom feeling what another person feels. Mm-hmm. We're just so self-absorbed in what we feel and what we want or what we think we need. Um, That's a good example. Mm-hmm. Did you, you had one oh, as well? Right? I've, oh yeah. We could go back and forth with some of them. Oh, uh, go. Yeah. Well, I'm remembering the first time that I felt an aneurysm and, um, or no, pardon me, strokes. First time I felt strokes. Mm-hmm. And um, so I'll just uh, refer to this person as Carol. And, uh, cause we make up names. Semi-modern. <laughs> I'm going to make fun of you every time you pick a name. Okay. Okay. So Carol <laughs> and, um, anyway, she came to see me and when she was in the treatment room, uh, what was coming through was actually not her stuff, but her husband's stuff who lives in a different city. He wasn't here for the, any of this. And, um, I grabbed my head and felt explosions in my head and, then my speech started to change and I couldn't get my words out and I could get sound, but I couldn't get my words. And I felt, I don't know, there was a lot of different sensations in my body of things slowing down. And she is, she is in a career where she understands through her medical background in edu- in being educated, what strokes are and brain injuries. I, just as you're talking, I kind of almost want to make a note. I want to talk about in a different podcast about how we feel everything yeah. and how we function. So can we kind of do that? As yeah. A so I'm feeling the stroke occurring in my brain. I'm, I can't control my speech. I'm not able to control parts of my neck. I remember feeling anxiety and then feeling, um, uh, I'll say different emotions, trying to process thoughts, but I couldn't seem to put them all in the right place. And I also remember um, her standing up and saying to me that she thought that I was having a stroke and that, well, she would know because this is her background. 
And I couldn't get my words out to tell her that I was just doing a treatment and that it was just her husband having the stroke and not me. So she thinks I'm having a stroke. So she's oh, actually, oh yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. So okay. she's getting up to call an ambulance because she's believing I'm stroking. And she's going, honey, it's okay. Can you raise your arms? Can you? And she's asking me these to do these things. And a few seconds went by. And then finally, I looked at her and I went, Carol, it's your husband. I'm not the one stroking. And she looked at me and went, oh my God. And I said, is it your husband that's having strokes? And she said, well, he has those symptoms. And this is really significant to me was the fact that the spirit world let me experience his strokes, let me show and describe their house and what it looked like so she could have affirmations, but also that um, he was going to continue to have strokes and that there would be several minor strokes, many, and that he would not be able to return to work. What happened was, long story kind of, it goes over a period of a couple of years. I see her two years later, and she's able to tell me um, that her husband did have a series of strokes, that he had had the stroke when I told her that he had, he did have a, a stroke, and that that information had all been correct. So my point in saying all of that was to illustrate that we feel it to that degree. We feel the stroke. So I wanted to go on and kind of give more stories of different types of things that we feel mm. as empaths. And other people might go, oh, my God, I don't want that to happen to me. Like, no, I, I don't right, want to be. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we're not saying that. I, I'm not trying to say that everybody has to be empathic to the same degree as us. But I'm just I wanted to point out that it is beneficial. And thank God you and I do. Mm-hmm. And that there are people that are willing to be this imaginative and this open to feeling someone else's pain. That's just one hour of my day. Mm-hmm. There's eight more clients after that. As one of the ways that I've watched people um, have empathy or show empathy in one of, I'll say that the best ways is with animals. Oh, um, that's true. And, and yeah. those who have them will know exactly yeah. what I'm talking about. Yeah. Even to the degree of can't watch a movie where something bad happens to an animal. Yes. You know, we can all watch these war movies. We can all watch the recreation of, of horrific events in history. Um, but if a dog dies in a movie, we're out. Kelly, this is something I could never understand about that movie that Mel Gibson did about the crucifixion of Jesus. And he was like, oh, I didn't see it because I can't but where he was whipped for like 10 minutes or something. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, was that audience emotionally dead? I I can't even answer that. Do you have to shut down 100% to watch somebody being whipped when you have the choice to get up and walk out? Mm -hmm. Like I'm thinking back in the days of slaves, or I shouldn't say that there are slaves now that are still whipped. If I'm standing there, and somebody's being whipped, there's no freaking way on earth I could stick around for two seconds, even if I had, even if I didn't have the gifts to this degree, I'd be a mess. Mm-hmm. I can't figure out for the life of me how those people sat in that movie and they paid to watch that. That blows my mind. Mm-hmm. It's like, where's the empathy there? Well, and I, yeah, we could argue this till we're blue in the face about sports too. Um, True, because I can't watch that either. Well, no, and, okay. and we do. We do as a society. We watch yeah. all kinds of horrific things happen to human beings at the hands of other human beings. Yeah, like, and you know what? I mean, this is totally Karen so, rampaging. Yeah, I know. Let's stop because <laughs> you get heated. Um, 
can we go back to the original point of empathy? Can we bring it yes. back to the Very Good Lives book that yes. uh, J.K. Rowling wrote and just talk about talk about that? Okay. But I do think it's very important to continue um, in some ways, and I won't get all hot and heavy over it, but I, I, I still want to make my point about hockey games and fistfights where people stand up and want two people to get up there and hit each other. Oh, and we cheer. And cheer for it like they're gladiators. And I still don't understand. You have to shut down your empathy not to feel those two people hit each other and mm-hmm. what a hit feels like to a physical body. That mm-hmm. is a living thing. And to think that that is okay, I do, I do not understand. That's fair. I'll, and that's all I'll say about that and going back to empathy again. I, I would just would think that those two moms are sure feeling their kids being hit, but well, maybe yeah. not. Maybe some moms can shut down when their kids are on a hockey rink too. Maybe they can. I mean, really, if the goal is uh, a ring in the NHL, sure. Okay, let's go. I'm done my rampage. Are we sure? Yeah. It never seems to be really done with you. That one never ends, but no. Well, because it's sports, and I just don't think it's necessary. Mm-hmm. Here we go again. Okay, yeah. <laughs> okay, so where else did you want to go with the empathy chat? Um, I guess maybe. I don't know. I wanted to tell more stories about where we feel empathy. When I think about when the guy came walking in the door and was walking through our dining room and kitchen, going into the treatment room, and I said to him, "Well, hop up onto the table. Let's take care of that." cyst on your hip and he says how do you know I have a cyst there and I said well because I can feel it Mm -hmm. so like not just that we can see these things in the body but that we feel them yeah and I think that's cool but can I kind of take it in a different direction because I think so far we've kind of illustrated physical empathy and there there's the I think probably the easier I say that with quotes around it because I'm not too sure that it actually is easier but um, a different kind of empathy and that's with the emotion itself. Yes. So maybe a great example is being in the funeral home at a funeral or a wake where you empathize with another that they've lost a loved one, um, that they are grieving and that if you have, if you have gone through something like that, um, you know, or you have a feeling that you know what they're going through, but some of us can walk into a funeral home and think, Oh my God, this person lost their brother. My brother's alive, but I would, I don't even know how I'd be standing up if that was me. Yeah. Yeah, we can. I think there's so many different aspects of empathy, like you said, whether it's feeling the physical or whether it's, and you know what, maybe there's a good thing that humans aren't empathic for everything, because I think perhaps how do nurses and doctors function if they have to cut into a body or, or help a burn victim if they can't turn it off, Mm -hmm. if they can't function. So I certainly, I'm sweating. (laughs) I know. I'm. Thank God this is a podcast and not a YouTube video. (laughs) You're so hot right now. I am literally. (laughs) Um, Maybe my empathic juices are just flowing. Maybe it's the coffee. It it could be um, on a hot sunny day. Um, The other thing too, Kelly, is the relief people get when they come and and I'll say to see us or talk to us wherever they are in the world. And we're able to describe how they felt or how they feel. And when nobody else around them 
can understand that feeling. Mm -hmm. When somebody comes in and and we can pinpoint it, whether it's physical or emotional, I'll use both examples. Mm -hmm. Whether someone calls long distance from Africa and we're able to say you have pain in your sacrum, you know, on your, or uh, your L, L5 and uh, your C1 was crushed, um, that we actually can feel all of that pain for them and know where it is in the body. But very much in the same way that we can say to somebody that we've never met before, you were molested when you were five years old. And this is what they did. And this is how you felt. Or you told the truth at work, and nobody believes you. Mm-hmm. And you feel betrayed, you feel that nobody, nobody values your word. Mm-hmm. Because we forget that when we don't believe people, we're saying they have their word has no value, therefore you have none. Mm-hmm. Um, and how we can give that back to people um, by by being empathic, mm-hmm. where they don't even have to talk about it. Yeah, not that I encourage people to not talk about it, but it it's a wonderful gift to know that there's another human being that can understand you on that level. Yeah, um, and that quickly. Yeah. Yeah, that it doesn't take us, I'll say, months or days or weeks or years to come to that revelation or to to um, have to help them uncover a memory. That for us, it's so easy to be able to find the event and the emotion and whether and the 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 emotional component of the event mm-hmm. and help it heal. Mm-hmm. And I and I think to um, to even sometimes just put words to it. Yes. So many people, pardon me, my throat's terrible, um, to, to just be able to articulate what they're feeling when they're feeling all of it, but don't know how to explain it. And so maybe they don't even try uh, because it's all just too overwhelming. And so we find the right words to say, this is exactly what you're going through. This is what you've been thinking. And it's like, oh my God, someone gets me. Yeah. I'm, I'm okay. And I think that's one of the biggest things that people get out of that when they come for emotional healing and the empathic side of things is that they find out that what they're feeling, although it's, it doesn't feel good, they are okay in the big picture. Yeah, I can't even, well, I know you know this, how many times have I said how often clients cry and release emotions because we're the, uh, I'm the first person um, that that was able to say the pain in your foot is between the big toe and the second toe and it goes you know this path this path this is how you feel and they look at me and are so relieved because no doctor will believe them mm-hmm. because the MRI the CAT scan the x-ray whatever the techno whatever is at their resources has not been able to affirm mm-hmm. something that that person has felt or the same thing maybe with a professional in, in psychiatry or in other fields where their their needs are not being met or affirmed. And I think it's really interesting um, that uh, we'll use your example when you're talking about the foot is they will have it all spelled out for them by, you know, you or I. And when the tears come, because you were talking about having that emotional release, what do they do? They apologize for them. Oh, yes. They say, I'm sorry for crying. I'm sorry. And yeah. I mean, essentially what they're saying is I'm sorry for feeling. And I, I always sit there and I say, no, no, no. 
you know, we, we should probably have investments in Kleenex because we've got so many boxes in this house. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is where tears happen because this is where you are allowed to feel. This is where you're allowed to release, uh, to identify and not rush through your process of your emotions mm-hmm. and to realize that someone else believes you, loves you, because that's another huge component of why we don't why we shut down our empathic abilities. Yeah. Because if I feel everything that I am feeling, someone might not love me. Yeah. Or tolerate me. Or accept me. And, and so we apologize for our truths, which are our tears, what we are authentically feeling. Mm-hmm. And I and I certainly have seen in the years of my practice that I'll say in spite of the fact that some people can get that in a session with, a, with you or I in one hour, they won't come back. No. You would think they would come back that they'd want to perch on our lawn to have that feeling and they do not. It is so foreign to us to feel the good feelings um, that they don't, they don't even come back. Well, because at this point, the good feelings are so uncomfortable because they're so foreign. Yeah. Right. And I think one, maybe one of the worst things about our location in this, in this city is that we're located so close to a freaking mall that when people come to see us and are waiting on, you know, whoever else they brought with them yeah. um, or are leaving, they'll say, oh, yeah, I'm just going over to the mall. And I think that's the last place you want to go right now. Yeah. You have just been essentially made raw in all of your truths or your, your yeah. uncoverings of what you're going through, that you're going to put yourself out into a public, very public place that is busy, full of, of stimuli, um, where you're already confused. Yeah. And it is, oh, but we've been conditioned for retail therapy. We've been conditioned. I'm guilty of that. And, and we've been conditioned that if you're going to shut down your emotions, buy something, build another house. If the marriage is falling apart, just build another home, uh, or build, go go get a cottage or go on another holiday Mm -hmm. and go shop, run the kids to all of the events. We've been conditioned to do many things to avoid feeling. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's true. It, it was that another rampage? <laughs> no, I don't think so. I mean, I'm sure some people will see it that way, but they're probably guilty of all of it anyway. <laughs> right? People get angry at the truth that they don't that's like so about themselves. True. Yes. So if you, yeah, that's very true. Well, and I flat out said I'm guilty of it. How many coach yeah. prices do I own? Yeah, and I'm and I'm not saying that we aren't you or I aren't no, guilty no. of some of these things, but when you become more aware, you begin to change some of those things. Yes, and that's why I'm saying that I can flat out admit it. Because, mm-hmm. and, and I think that's, you know, why we also have what's called shopper's remorse. Why my, my brilliant aunt taught me to keep receipts because we do, oh. we go for retail therapy and then the next day it's like, well, shit, I wasn't dealing with an emotion. I went out and bought three purses. I'm, I'm going to return those. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm just, you know, yeah. a little kind of funny side, but, but also truthful. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> it is. And you know, Kelly, I had to think long and hard why people weren't coming back. Really? I did at first. Oh, yeah, because I guess you make I, it personal, too. I, I did, because I... Th- yeah, you do. Was I accurate? Was I this? Did I not say the right thing? Did I... Like, like there was... the Like, there's nobody that's mentored me. There's nobody that's taught me how to do this. No. So there's no right or wrong, like a school system that says this is right or this is wrong. Um, the entire, entire learning process, I'll say, is self-reflective. But it has to be so that for a number of reasons. Yeah. But. Well, to me, it just makes so much sense. 
you're asking them to change. You're asking, or not asking them, but you're offering them all these new tools and these new ways of, of seeing things, their own life, their own, themselves, um, and the people in their lives. And then you're saying, okay, your hour's up. You send them back into the world. They choose to go to the freaking mall or home where none of the people in their lives maybe are ready or want to change or even have any clue that they that they engaged in this this activity with us. Right, because a lot of people won't even tell other people that they would come to see us. Right, and so they go back into, I'll say, quote unquote, the real world. And it's that much more painful. It's that much more painful because when they see themselves truthfully or others truthfully and those people aren't on board for the new changes that they want to make, yeah. Now what? And th- this brings me to the very the end of J.K. Rowling's book, where she's actually asking people to stand up. She's asking them to take a stand for change, for imagination, for empathy, where she's saying to all of these Harvard grads, it's okay for you to have your paper, but the most important things in life are these. Mm-hmm. And do you want to skip and run past the two most important things in life? And I would say, if you look at North America... Uh, most people are happily running past those two things. Mm-hmm. And as a matter of fact, they will trample over in a stampede to get past them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just, this was important to me because I, I think that if there aren't people willing to engage in the imagination, we wouldn't have Harry Potter. We it all comes back to Harry Potter. Well, well for some people, <laughs> yeah. let's face it, Kelly, it will be more important for people to hear this part of the podcast about Harry Potter than about you or I. Right. Or, or about the fact that some people would trample right over us in spite of the fact that we might be able to find missing people and not care to get the autograph of a movie star or a football player. Then, or that they would pay five times more money to, to go to a football game than they or to buy a kayak than they would to do something like this that could change their whole life and heal. Mm-hmm. We both know that. That's just reality. Mm-hmm. But I thought it was worth talking about. And for the people out there that are, are that are trying, they need to hear it. Yeah, and I think too the people who, like we said, maybe feel that depression or feel that I'll call it off because a lot of us just say I'm off today. Right. We can't pinpoint anything. So yeah. we, we kind of use that word. Um, if if you're identifying with that kind of a feeling uh, to know, OK, maybe there's something going on in my life that I'm not seeing clearly um, that I need a third perspective. And we're not saying it has to be us. I mean, there's there's yeah. so many wonderful kinds of professionals who can can help you with that. Or also, I'll even say a truthful friend. And I emphasize truthful um, who's willing to to kind of put it all out there. Uh, who can help change the way you see life, the way that you want to move forward. Yeah, and when you bring up truthful friend, I think of shooting the messenger. Mm-hmm. And how many people have been truthful friends and then shot for it? Um, dumped at the curb. Oh, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, avoided. <laughs> um, or just viciously attacked by the group. Um, but I, 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 th- I think about that, you know, mm-hmm. the, the price of um, being strong enough and courageous enough to be empathic and imaginative. Mm-hmm. and uh, loving yourself and how very difficult it is to do all of that. Now, can we take the conversation in another vein for empathy? Your show. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, and that's a good thing, I hope. Um, yeah, I wanted to, to kind of go into, this, into the direction of children and empathy 
and how many parents are coming and calling, uh, uh, talking about the fact that their kids are so empathic um, and how can they help their kids. Mm-hmm. And I think that would be uh, a good little <clears throat> venue to go down now too, um, a different direction here. There are just so many kids and I think every child is born with empathic abilities. Um, but certainly you and I are hearing more people who don't want to shut it down inside their children, where their kids are saying things like um, that they can feel what another kid is feeling at school. Mm-hmm. Or mommy, I, uh, the teacher had a sore tummy today. And um, where a parent might say, you don't know that. Where a parent might um, tell them what they know instead of asking them an open-ended question. That's interesting, sweetie. How did you know that? Mm -hmm. But saying, no, you didn't. And and, and I guess one of the things I want to say to to people that are, you know, whether it's parenting or whatever, but today we're just using that one as an example, um, is that sometimes as parents, you tend to, or we tend to make statements instead of questions. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. Is it, I, I'm going to just throw a book out there for people who are bookworms like myself and you, um, is the book Controlling People. Oh, by and Patricia Evans. Yeah, it, just remarkable in the way she talks about how we parent, um, but how we grow up being that child uh, and having yeah. what, what you would refer to earlier as the backwards training. Um, just, just such a great resource book. And I always tell my clients about this. Um, it's not a book that you read through from start to finish and you think, okay, I've grasped all those concepts. It will be a resource book that you read over and over again through life um, because we constantly have to reevaluate ourselves. Yeah. And can I just quickly say any book by Patricia <clears throat> Evans is worth buying? I'm sure we'll end up bringing them all. <laughs> oh, her, like we will talk about her forever. Um, Nina Brown. There's a, there, if some authors I will always bring up. Um, Dr. Susan Forward, Toxic Parents. Um, that beautiful authors that give parents the right tools mm-hmm. um, to be able to create a healthier dialogue instead of shutting dialogue down and resorting to punishment. Mm-hmm. And I think um, this is a point I always make as well is when you're reading something like that or you're being given this information by a truthful friend, it's so important to be able to be an observer Mm-hmm. And not feel as though it's happening or it's being said as an attack, um, but that you can see, okay, I do engage in those behaviors and not drag yourself through the guilt and the shame of all of it, yeah. but to be just able to identify, yes, this has happened. Yes, I have done that. Yeah. Now, if this is not working for me, because that's also an observation, is it working right. or is it not? What can I then do better? Well, I like the way that you said that we attack the person who delivers the message so we don't have to deal with our own emotions of shame and guilt. Mm-hmm. And as avoiders, because that's now avoiding our own stuff, we just attack instead. And that that is a type of behavior that uh, destroys. And and again, shuts down the empathic ability. Because if, yeah. you, can, if you can hear a message just as a message... Right. And evaluate whether or not there is truth in that message instead of looking at the person who it came from, then you can think to yourself, okay, how have my actions affected another person? The affect being the important part about empathizing, right? Mm -hmm. So if I have engaged in this behavior, how have I made another person feel? Mm -hmm. And if I have been an abuser and I have abused someone else, 
in turn, how has that made me feel? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's something abusers don't ever consider is how the, the abuse of action itself destroys their own body. And here's a Did really... you hear that? Yeah, sorry. Yeah, uh, sorry, Kelly. I just, it's so important yeah. because I, I, we have to pause just for a second because as energy healers, we get to watch how bodies destroy themselves from abuse by abusing other people. Mm-hmm. We think the abusers get away with it. They never do. Those organs, the cell tissue always will show what they've done. And I wanted to give an example, and I think it's a really good example of what you're talking about. Um, so often when I see clients come in, and it's men and women, mostly in marriages, where their solution to confrontation is the cold shoulder, or what I'll call withholding. Um, so they with, they withhold information, they withhold affection. Um, Praise. They, yep. Kindness. And, or even acknowledgement. Yeah. They, they withhold the very acknowledgement of another person's presence. Yeah. Uh, and the damage that does. So we become an abuser when we withhold. And we think the other person has been the abuser by saying something mean, right. by being vocal. And when we withhold, we engage in a controlling behavior that manipulates and destroys another person, but in turn destroys ourselves because we ha- have now made someone else feel not safe. So in the fundamental aspect of our lives, which we, we know we hold in our pelvis, um, we no longer feel safe in our own home with the person who apparently loves us the most in this world. Right. Get that. And then they're going to say later, oh, and I love you. Mm-hmm. And right. so that's, again, confusing the brain cells. But yeah. when we withhold from another person and make them feel all of those emotions that are not safe, right. we're also telling ourselves, my home is no longer a safe place. That's right. Because yeah. I have made it disruptive. I have made it abusive. Yeah. I have made it an unsafe place for another person, which obviously means it's not safe for me. Exactly. And that comes down to energetically the, the host, you're hosting your own body. So you've got all these cells in the body that are fighting against each other. And then we wonder why we have so many illnesses. Oh, why we have tight hips, why we have yeah. um, sore butt muscles, pelvic floor, oh. hip, and why and, and to me, it speaks of a whole generation, I'll say definitely, at least my age and older of a lot of low back and hip issues and leg issues. Mm-hmm. And the fact that we have so many knee surgeries, and some people might say, Oh, that's obesity. And I would say absolutely. But the obesity itself comes from and the overeating come from the ricochet effect of that withholding or abuse not feeling safe. Yeah. Anyway, okay. So we were talking about kids. Oh, <laughs> no, it's oh, okay. Crap. It's all good. We were, and we were, t- I wanted to talk to parents. So I know we go off on our tangents. It's all good. Well, I mean, directly related to how you treat your children too, exactly, right? Exactly. So if you are that parent that withholds affection or that, I'll say tough love crap, um, th- those are the feelings that you create in your home. Yeah. I can't, the, and that child goes into, I, I cannot trust my parent. Right. And the parent understands then that they're not even able to trust their own decisions. Okay. okay. <laughs> talk about kids. Well, I want to talk and, and do a little bit, just like I say, in very much younger kids. Um, but it can also definitely apply to everybody, teenagers, everyone. But where so many children are, are verbalizing um, their empathic abilities to feel for another person. 
and don't want to do certain things. They might not want to play those sports or they might not want to participate in school in certain events or watch certain movies that schools are showing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like a Schindler's List or something where they're saying it's part of the educational system to watch this. It was reality. It was real. But the empathic child will fall apart in the classroom. Mm-hmm. And then the bully wants to make fun of the empathic child. And the bully can be a classmate or it can be the teacher that oh, sends God. them down to the office. Yeah, was that, I was that kid. Oh, I remember this, Kelly. That's why I'm <clears throat> saying it because oh. so many teachers are bullies. And so are some principals. And so are some entire school systems where the director backs that behavior up instead of saying it should be optional that those empathic children, every, every kid in that class is empathic. We don't have to watch, I'll call it the crucifixion, to understand whipping and pain Mm -hmm. and how we constantly put this in people's faces on not understanding that empathic, that empathic ability within us feels it. And if you keep forcing that on children, that it shuts it down. So if it's the video game or the TV shows or the movies that they're watching, that all of that deadens the empathic ability. And I think it's you made a really good point uh, earlier about asking open-ended questions as opposed to statements. Yes. So yeah. if I think about being that kid, or I'll say kid, I was a teenager, um, <clears throat> when you can say to them, okay, if this is how you're feeling, then what do you need? Mm-hmm. Right. Because we don't often ask or allow other people to evaluate their needs. Had I had I been just able to say, you know, can I sit in the hallway? Um, can I do homework in the hallway? Um, then then I get to talk about, you know, being able to fulfill a, a school need and maybe a stressor that I might not get schoolwork done, that I don't need to watch the film to feel and understand what happened. Right. Um, you know, and in any situation, really, to say, what do you need? And I think it's interesting. You're, that's a beautiful question. I love what you're saying. But I think it's kind of backwards, too, that a school is trying to say, we want you, or I'm just picking on a school for just an example. We want them to watch Schindler's List so that they'll never do it again, that we won't repeat history. Oh, please, we repeat history every day. I know, but they're saying, if, if but if they watch it and they feel it, they won't do it again. So but in actuality, them, but let's put them in the army. Yes. It's <laughs> all a it's, different issue. It, well, I have a real good term for it, but it's probably not suitable for podcasts. No, it's called mind fucking. Yeah. That's my, my, I just, that's my favorite okay. term for it. Let's go in a different direction. Okay. But it's interesting. And I don't think that, I think that it'll always come back to, um, the question of integrity and the, the question of when you are empathic, you have to constantly go back to your own personal integrity and that being an empath feeling for other people will always call you into question to be truthful and honest. Mm-hmm. And it will always call you into question of where you stand as a, as a person, as a soul. And if you're in alignment or out. If we go back to children, yes, as just as your example, because I know we've kind of died diverted from that a few times um why are we teaching them what not to do why aren't we providing them with the tools of how to cope properly or how to deal with things properly so we're not constantly in a state of coping right right um why can't and this goes back to one of the first questions you asked me is can you teach empathy and i think in many ways we're trying but with the wrong questions right 
with the wrong tools. Right. And sometimes, like you said, like with the, the backwards training, mm-hmm. where we, we make one step forward thinking that we should train them, we sh- they should be empathic, and then we pull it back out and say they shouldn't. And, and this, this is something that I discovered as a child, being raised Catholic, was you're, you were taught to be empathic, to love, to be kind, to forgive, to, to talk to the spirit or I'll say spirit world because they wanted you to pray to God and Mary and Jesus all the but time. But not directly. But, but in, so, you know, pray your guts out and ask for forgiveness and talk to God and go to God, go to God. And then by God, when I was actually listening to God talking, <laughs> crazy, I was crazy <laughs> and uh, I should be in a mental institution. And, um, and the church to this very day, as you know, uh, from our experience with s- some local people in the religious community that they think we're liars or that they think well, no. these aren't gifts, that this is Satan. There we go. And that we've actually been called Satan to our face because we're empathic. And somebody might go, wow, that, that, that was a stretch. <laughs> no, I'm not. Yeah. But it, and I would go, yeah, they might have to rewind and think that they just missed part of the conversation. <laughs> oh, it, it jumped that quick. That escalated quickly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it, but how, and so very true how that does escalate that quickly. Because when you are empathic and you're being truthful, that the person attacking you has to lose all common sense. And and I'm going to bring it back again to the children because so many kids are saying, this is how I feel, this is what I'm noticing, and the parents do attack. They do jump to those conclusions. They might not call their children demonic, uh, like we've been referred to, but they will say something's wrong with my child. Yeah. And so it does escalate that quickly. Yeah. And there is such a misunderstanding of empathy itself and, and all the, the wonderful ways that it, it appears right. um, that they jump to, this is creepy. Yeah. How come they know what I'm thinking? How come they know what yeah. I'm feeling? I had never talked about it. I never cry in front of them. We never fight in front of them. Well, and that speaks to, that speaks to people's <clears throat> lack of education in understanding any about anything about this aspect of who people are as the human race. I won't say who a psychic is or what a psychic is or what a gifted person is. I'll say what a human is, what a spirit is, what a soul is, what a living group of organisms are, whether you want to look at us as spiritual beings or as scientific beings. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it's flipping amazing how science is proving all of this anyway. It's just, it's cool. Anyhow. That's another conversation because, you know, I like my tangents. I won't be in that conversation with you. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think it's cool. I think it's boring. Okay. I think it's boring and I think it's arrogant that they are quote unquote catching up. Well, that's true. It's all about ego. But I think that's why I still find it interesting because I think science is, is a super ego well, and, and still trying to control. Now, let's yes. not do that because... Let, we won't go there now. We've probably lost enough people with the army chat. <laughs> True. Okay. Yes. And we and some things we skim over because we know they're very difficult. Um, and if you send a question or someone wants to do something like that, we can approach it. Continue. With with what? Well, I don't know. Do we want to talk about... I, like, I, I think to... Uh, when we refer to children in schools and with families, how much an education system shuts these things down, thinking that they're, they're problems and d- don't really understand because of a lack of education on their own part as, as educators, 
what to do with a child that uh, um, is just empathic or imaginative. <laughs> mm-hmm. Really, they're supposed to know uh, that they say they have the arts, and that's that's their idea of solving the problem of imagination. And I just think that is hilarious. Mm-hmm. I think about how imaginative I was, such a, like, an absolute daydreamer. And if you put a pencil, charcoal, paintbrush in my hand, I couldn't do absolutely anything with it. No, <laughs> me neither. Yet I can tell you what the inside of somebody's house looks like sitting here in this house mm-hmm. uh, if they're in Africa. Well, that's a pretty damn good and accurate imagination. Mm-hmm. And I but not something a system was willing to look at. And even though I'm 53, or I'll, sorry, I'll reword that. I am 53. And over the last five decades, I haven't seen the system change. Well, and in I think, that regard. Okay. I'm not arguing that point at I'm all. still saying that their idea of imaginati- imagination is still drama and music and the arts programs. Yes. And I think imagination being making things up. I think a lot of people think oh, they, yeah. they are, it's synonymous in their mind of imaginative, imagine wow, English, please. Imagination is making things up and not, um, an accuracy and a Truthful. building of a world. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And how many children's worlds and realities are shut down because of that. Well, yeah. And I mean, you and I saw that, I think just last weekend when we saw the movie Inside Out, um, how the little character of the mate, the, the imaginative, um, uh, little guy she used to play with when she was young. Yes. Uh, died. Disintegrates, literally yeah. disintegrates as she grows older because they're told that these, these worlds, these realities don't exist. And they do. And, and, but, and we have to be so careful. We have to be the guardians of that. Somebody has to be the guardians of that of that imagination or we wouldn't have science discovering things. Mm-hmm. We well, wouldn't have doctors and scientists discovering antibiotics and, or but also new surgeries. Right. And and back to the original point, um, it's in our imagination, like JK Rowling says, where we develop our empathy yes. for others. Where we imagine different worlds and how to care for them. We, we enter different realities and understand how to be a part of them instead of destroy them. Right. And then we get to take that and come back to this world and understand how to live and care for it instead of destroying it. Yeah. And I think we... And each we, other. Yeah. And I think we have to remember that our children's realities are here. There are many worlds here. It isn't just going off into space outside mm-hmm. of the planet Earth. But that their world and their imagination is real, just like our Parker's is his. Mm -hmm. And we have to be careful and we have to be respectful of Parker's. Mm -hmm. And I think some people, like you said earlier, they get that lesson easier and better with their pets than they do children or their spouses Mm -hmm. or their coworkers. Yeah. Neat. All right. I think I'm done. Oh, okay. How are you? I love how you get done so quickly. Well, I don't know. Do you want to keep going? Or? No, I, I think that's great. Okay. I thoroughly enjoyed that. Well, we hope you guys did too. And uh, bye for now.